0: Amen. Your, pres- your position determines your perspective, and your perspective shifts everything. Your position determines your perspective, and your perspective shifts everything. When was the last time you had the best seat in the house? Maybe it's for an athletic event or a concert or, or something. I was at a conference last, last year, I believe it was last year in Houston. And it was specifically for women who were called to communicate the gospel, whether through spit, spoken or written word. Obviously, I need to be there because I'm stuttering today. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I get so excited. I just, I just can't help it. Anyway, um, and all of my Hall of Faith favorites were there. I mean, it was hosted by Beth Moore, right? Like phenomenal, incredible Bible teacher. Christine Kane, Ann Voskamp, Priscilla Shirer, Bianca Oltoff, I mean, all the greats, okay? And I went by myself, so that meant I got to choose my own hotel, I got to choose where I wanted to eat, and I got to choose when I got to the venue. I'm the nerd that when I go to a 7 o'clock movie, I want to get there at 6.45, because I want to enjoy the stroll into the thing. I'm not one of those ones who enjoys, like, running, and you're fighting the crowd for popcorn if you eat popcorn, And, and you sit down, and it takes the first 20 minutes to catch your breath, right? I'm just not that way, and so... I would go to this conference early, and I had the best seat in the house. Okay, maybe it wasn't the best, but to me, in that moment, it was the best. And I got to sit on the side of the stage, front row. Now, here's why I like that seat. The conference would start, and then all of these incredible women of God that I look up to walked right in front of me. Now, it wasn't one of those moments where I was going to, like, be a creep and reach out and touch him, right? Like, it's not like a, if I could just touch the hem of your garment, you know? But here's why I loved it. I got to see women who inspire me, women who I look to, and in some ways model my life after. I got to see how they approached their father in worship. Because worship had already begun. The music was playing. We were already singing. And I watched as each one, unique to their own personality, approached worship. It was sacred. It was solemn. And it told me that what they spoke of and what they wrote of wasn't just a thing. It wasn't just a subject. It was real. It was their lifeline. See, your position determines your perspective, and your perspective shifts everything. Here's the thing. Um, Here's the thing. When you're last in line, what's the first thought you have? I have to wait for all these people. Especially if you're in a hurry, right? Right? When you drive by Starbucks and you're trying to get your latte and there's like nine cars in line and you've got to be at work in 15 minutes. No, I haven't experienced this. What's your first thought? Do you take the risk? Do you not? You know, like, hey, sorry, boss, I was late. Had a flat tire as I walk in with a vintage Starbucks. (laughs) Like lying, you know. Hey, boss, I was late. I wanted Starbucks and I misjudged my time. Like your first thought, the, the position, your physical positioning determines how you see things. When you're first in line on a Black Friday sale, what is your first thought? Jackpot, right? Like, man, I bet all these people wish they were friends with me, or I bet they're going to ask me how I did it, right? Or, man, getting up at 3.30 was worth it. Your position determines your perspective, and your perspective shifts everything. There are countless examples of people in the Bible who found themselves in precarious positions. A wee little man in a sycamore tree. David peeping on Bathsheba's rooftop spa day. Abel with his own life about to end at the hands of his brother. The woman caught in an illegal slumber party surrounded by men with rocks. And Jonah lost in the septic system of a giant fish bigger than his own pride. Your position determines your perspective, and your perspective changes everything. The Israelites, after all, God had done for them like all all said this they were furious. they were frustrated and they said this in a moment of fury this is Exodus 14:12 back in Egypt didn't we tell you this would happen didn't we tell you leave us alone here in Egypt we're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness <laughs> They were already dead in Egypt. That's the whole point. That's why God had to send Moses and this uber service to lead them out. Because they were basically dead. Because you could be physically alive, but dead on every other level. See, your position determines your perspective. And your perspective changes everything. The Israelites, with the Red Sea in front of them. And the enemy encroaching them on the back, on the back side. Their position was one of desperation. Inevitable defeat. And their position of defeat led to their perspective of death, and they were losing the battle in their hearts long before the Egyptians were a threat to them. Your position determines your perspective, and your perspective shifts everything. Daniel and the Lion's den. remember that old vet booty? Yeah, chances are your kids are learning about it this morning. Have fun with that lunch conversation. <laughs> Daniel, a man in good standing who refused to stop praying even when the king ordered it. Daniel gets thrown into a studio apartment with 99 cats. I mean, the lion's den. (laughs) Same difference. Sorry if you're a cat person. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Apparently, the lions are on the Daniel fast that day. No meat, no Daniel. Today, we eat cauliflower. Tomorrow, we eat, man. Rawr. (laughs) And so Daniel camps all night with these lions. It's like an all-out slumber party, like animal encounter of the first kind. Take that, SeaWorld. Daniel sleeps with the lions in the den. See, your position shapes your perspective, and, and your perspective changes everything. And, and the king goes home that night, and he can't sleep, and there's no entertainment, and he doesn't eat. And the next morning, he runs to the den. Daniel! <laughs> and Daniel, Daniel's rescued. It says this in Daniel six twenty three and 24. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. That makes for an awkward family outing. Your position determines your perspective and your perspective changes everything. Daniel positioned himself in humility on his knees before God, regardless of what man said. And his proper positioning led to a right perspective, which in turn shifted everything. See, your position determines your perspective. And your perspective changes everything. Joseph was left for dead in a pit so that when his brothers were put out and left in a pit of despair, he could return the unjust treatment with kindness. Your position determines your, this is where you help me out so I can take a breath. Ready? Your position your And your perspective shifts everything. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tossed into a fiery pit. When they had done no wrong. And the Bible says they came out without a single hair on their body singed and not smelling like smoke. Y'all, you cannot be in 50 feet of a bonfire and not go home smelling <laughs> like smoke for days. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. They didn't smell like smoke. See, the purpose of the fire was never to destroy or consume. The purpose of the fire was to refine and to put the glory of God on display. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that. Your position determines your perspective, and your perspective changes everything. Matthew 20, 16 says this, The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. It's the upside-down kingdom. With the one who rules and reigns for all of eternity, the one who says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the kingdom in which you and I live and move and breathe and have our being. This is where our true citizenship belongs to. Or have we maybe forgotten that you and I are merely passing through this earth? I know, longest road trip ever. It is true that we are more citizens of heaven than we are of earth. That is true of you and I, whether we live our lives like that or not. See, your position determines your perspective, and your perspective shifts everything. It's an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be measured with earthly currency. A kingdom whose king will never be ousted or shut up. A kingdom where the streets are paved with gold. And yet you and I want to be stingy with our tithes and offerings, myself at the top of the list. See, your position determines your perspective and your perspective changes everything. We're going to pick up in 1 Kings 19. That was all bonus. This is our main text for the day. You're welcome. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 3 through 14. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. We're talking about Elijah. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Must have been Chick-fil-A on that rock. I don't know. (laughs) There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke them into pieces and rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah, an incredible prophet of God running for his life, hiding in a cave. Caves are not fun places to be unless you're on a fifth grade science field trip, right? And so... Elijah is operating out of despair. He was such in a hard place that he forgot the calling of God on his life. Have you ever been there? You're not alone. <laughs> Elijah was there. He he forgot what God had called him to. He said, It would be better off, God, if I were dead. That's desperate. That's real. And that is the majority of us in this room at some point or another in our lives. But God, two of the most powerful words, but God. And God shows up in the most stunning of ways, not an earthquake, not in shattered mountains, not in the wind, not in the fire, but in the still, small voice. It's the Psalm 4610 principle, be still and know that I am God. I used to think the difficult part of that was being still, thought it was a challenge for most of us. I work with kids, it's a challenge for them. And that is difficult, okay? You ready? We're going to be still. No thinking, no talking, don't move, unless you have to sneeze, then cover your mouth, please. Ready? Begin. Okay, I can't go longer than 15 seconds. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. But it's not so much about the being still part, although I think there's there's another sermon in that. Praise God, we'll save that for another day. But it's in the knowing that he is God. Because to acknowledge that he is God means that I have to acknowledge that I am not. And when I'm in the midst of the fire or I'm in the midst of the difficulty, guess who likes to play God? Yours truly. Anyone else still play pretend as an adult? Hey, God, you should do things this way. Hey, hey God, maybe you're a little overwhelmed today. Let me help you with this situation. You want me to take him out? Gladly. Sword, cell phone, Facebook rant. Real talk. We do that all the time. See, to be still and to acknowledge that he is God is to also equally acknowledge that you and I are not God. We are but dust. It was read this morning. We are nothing but dust. Our positions have more to do with just our physical locations. See, your position determines your, your perspective, and your perspective changes everything. But we're not just talking physical position. Like, hey, Tara, where are you? Well, I'm right now in the middle of the church, Right? I mean, all of our examples this morning, we talked about they're in the middle of the Red Sea, they're in the lion's den, they're in the fire. But position also means what you hold or believe to be true. It's not just a physical location. It's an internal location in your heart and in your mind of the things that you believe or you hold to be true. So yes, Elijah's position was in a cave. But the position of Elijah's heart, what he was believing to be true, was one of defeat and despair. God shows up in the whisper and speaks so tenderly the truth. I am not done with you, man of God. Get up and eat. If you feed them, they will come. Get up and eat. The journey ahead is long. I am not Done with you. Elijah's position physically was in a cave, yes. But his position mentally and emotionally and spiritually was equally in a cave. It was defeat. And God whispered, get up, champ. Get up. And it's right after this that Elijah is sent to find Elisha. You know where Elisha is? We'll pick up in chapter 19, verse 19. Thank you for asking me. I'd love to answer. First Kings 19, verse 19. So he departed, Elijah. So he departed from there. This was after he had his snack. And it's like one-on-one with God. And God's like, you're a champ. Come on, knuckles up, bro. And Elijah's like, okay. Wipes crumbs off his mouth and begins the long journey. So it says that he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Elisha is behind twelve oxen plowing. You know what that means? That means hard work. That means long hours, long days, long nights. That means cut open blisters. That means sweat. That means poop. There, I said it in a sermon. Poop. <laughs> Elisha is literally navigating through oxen waste. We, we don't know what he's thinking or feeling because the Bible doesn't say. But I'll be honest, if I were plowing through animal waste, I'd probably not be singing Kumbaya or bless the Lord on oh my soul. I'd be like, God, what is next? Come on, Kmart snack bar. There's got to be something better. <laughs> and so Elijah goes and he throws his cloak on Elisha, which represents the mantle being passed, which represents a blessing being passed. Kind of like we do on Sunday mornings, a family blessing, that's a big deal. The power of life and death is in our tongues. And so the words you speak matter, whether your kid's crying or squirming or whatever, it matters. So Elijah, who was in a cave and resummoned to what God had called him to, goes and he passes on his mantle to Elisha, who is literally walking through crap. See, your position determines your perspective, and your perspective changes everything. When you think you are done and out and over, God is calling you out in the midst of the rubble and the ruins and the fire and the water and the wind and saying, I have more for you. You may feel forgotten, forsaken, overlooked, cast out, and rejected, but the Lord is speaking today that you are not those things. Y'all remember that old school song? I am pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's scripture. But that's not what you and I sing, let alone say, when we're in the midst of the trial, is it? See, your position, not just physical, but your internal position of your heart, what you hold to believe to be true, Determines your perspective, and your perspective changes everything. Elisha, the one stuck with the crap, ends up getting a double portion from the mighty man of God who was just hiding out in the cave waiting to die. Elijah didn't come off some mountaintop experience spitting fire. He didn't just have a 40-day retreat with God where there were angels singing. I mean, granted, the angels showed up with snack time, which is awesome. But he was in a cave. He was in a cave, and God said, I have more for you. And so Elijah goes, and then Elisha gets blessed in that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said that God could deliver them, but if not, they would not bow down. Joseph's position was that God was for him and not against him, even if his family didn't care. Abraham positioned himself in the truth that everything of his life belonged to God, including his precious son. The Israelites struggled to believe that God was for them and not against them. Their position greatly affected their perspective and their journey. Daniel's position was on his knees long before the trouble came, so that when the trouble came, he didn't have to fight to get on his knees. The time to pray is not when the stuff hits the fan. The time to pray is the minute you wake up. You don't wait in, until something happens to, to seek the face of God. You seek the face of God daily. Elijah positioned himself in a cave physically and mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. But God whispered, it's not over, champ. Get God back up. Elisha positioned himself to receive all that God had for him. A position of expectancy. Our position determines our perspective and our perspective shifts everything. See, the purpose of the trials that you and I go through is twofold. One is to make us look more like Christ. Amen. Kathy was telling me yesterday about, um, uh, I believe it was a word that Michael gave a couple weeks ago about a shovel or something and a tool being in a fire and in the pounding. And the heat that that takes—we say all the time, we sing all the time. God make me like you, more of you, less of me. And God is answering that prayer through the difficult things that we go through. I mean, do we think we get to tell Him how to do it? <laughs> I mean, I have but he uses the difficult circumstances of our lives and and he uses the furnace cranked up high to shape us to be more like his son. And there's a pounding and a bruising and a breaking and a cracking. But what's left is that God's glory is put on display. See, the purpose of the trial is twofold. It's to make you and I more like Jesus, but it's also to make the glory of God known. It says it over and over again when, when Pharaoh's heart was hardened and the plagues was happening, right? Like all those frogs and locusts and all the kinds of the bloody river and all that stuff. It says that God purposely hardened Pharaoh's heart so that his glory might be put on display. And it says that some of the hard things the Israelites went through was so that God could put his glory on display. See, our job as little followers of Jesus is to make much of Jesus. (laughs) That we ought to look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, even smell like Jesus. But often, because our positioning is wrong, we come out reeking like flames and fire. (laughs) And the person on the street addicted to cocaine wants nothing to do with what we have because it doesn't look any different. If anything, it smells worse. (laughs) See, our position determines our perspective, and our perspective changes everything. And what are the things that you and I say when we're going through? Where's God? I thought God was good. I I thought God answered prayer. I thought God was for me and not against me. Right? We start spitting out things opposite of, of the standard of the word of God. See, your position determines your perspective, and your perspective changes everything. What do you believe to be true in your heart about God? In your heart. Not in your head. I think a lot of us have a lot of head knowledge, but it's different. There's a big difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Heart knowledge is belief. Head knowledge is like factual, right? What do you believe to be true Because the time to figure that out is not when things go wrong. The the time to figure out what your standard is or or what your compass is or or who God is to you isn't when, when, when laws are changed and you're no longer allowed to pray. Like no one signs up for the overnight prayer vigil when it's against the law to pray. See, your position determines your perspective, and your perspective changes everything about how you live your life. We will never be shaped like Christ or make his great name known if our position, what we hold to be true and the deepest thing we believe about God, is not rooted in his word. What position do you need to be in today? I believe there's something about our physical positions that can mirror the spiritual realm. For some of you, I think today, maybe your position, the Lord is calling you to stand. To just stand for what's right. Or to stand like a little child again and say, Daddy, I need your help. And maybe for some of us, the, the position needs to be on our knees. A place of humility. Or even on our faces acknowledging that God is God and we are not. And he is holy and he is sovereign. And he withholds no good thing from his children. What does your position need to be today? Your position affects your perspective. And your perspective changes everything. I'm going to invite you... However you feel led by the the spirit. We're going to close in prayer here. But I'm going to invite you to take that position. If you'd like to get on your knees. Or on your face before God. Maybe you want to stand. Maybe you just want to sit. And we're going to close in prayer. I am reminded this morning that you are really good at being God. You do an incredible job. You are sovereign and wise and good and faithful and just and merciful. And God, you stand alone as God. No one will ever dethrone you. You reign forever as King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of the unshakable government. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you, Jesus, are Lord. God, you are stronger than mountains being shattered. You are more lovely than the perfect breeze on the warmest day. God, you are more pure than a fire that rages. And God, your still, small voice, your whisper, carries all authority in heaven and on earth. And this morning we submit to you. We surrender to you and we acknowledge that you are God. And we are not Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And God, forgive us for grumbling. Forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for our bitterness. Forgive us for our resentment. God, forgive us for making trophies out of our trials instead of being trophies of grace, treasures in jars of clay that show that this all-surpassing power and knowledge is from you. God, forgive us for not allowing you to be God in our lives. For telling you how to call the shots. For telling you how to handle the situation. For telling you how to fix our lives. God, forgive us for all the times we've told you how wrong you've gotten it. God, I know this morning that there are people hiding out in caves waiting to die. Because it's just too much. The despair and the darkness and the depression and the, the anxiety and all of the things. God, they're tired. And I'm asking that you your still small voice today, you would feed them and you would tell them to get up again. Get up one more time. God, there, there's people today that are plowing behind the oxen and, and they're walking through stuff that stinks and are discouraged and they feel forgotten. God, I'm asking that you would send the Elijahs hiding out in the caves to find the Elishas who are plowing and who are working and that they would bless them. God, I'm asking that those fighting the battle on their knees would keep fighting even when there's repercussions. And God, that you would meet them in that den of lions. God, for those in the fiery furnace and and the heat just keeps getting cranked up. It keeps going wrong. God, would you reveal yourself to them? And God, for us Israelites in the crowd who think that you've brought us to this place to just leave us. Like you've left us and and you've forsaken us in And you're not going to carry us all the way home. God, would you remind us of your incredible faithfulness to us. The way you saved us and you rescued us. God, you spilled the blood of your precious son for my sin. Remind me. Cut our hearts wide open, God. Search us and know us. Clean out every nook and cranny of our lives, God. Have your way with us. God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. Restore the joy of our salvation to us, God. Help us to position ourselves in humility at the foot of the cross in the shadow of the Almighty. And God, let our perspective be heavenward. God, help us to stop building little sandcastles here on earth And help us to build your kingdom here on this earth as we pass through, God. Help us to live as true citizens of heaven. Co-heirs with Christ. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. Have mercy on our sin, sick, weary, tired souls. Restore us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.